We've met here for the purpose of worship, and certainly worship consists of a lot of things, not the least of which is prayer. So uh, we're going to begin our service today with silent prayer, as we have done recently. And you think about prayer, and remember Romans chapter, again, 8, 26, and 27 assure us, first of all, that we ask amiss from time to time. And then it also tells us that... uh, uh, Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit make intercession for us, convert our prayer if it is amiss, which very often it will be, uh, and making a perfect prayer to God, and then God takes that perfect prayer and implements a perfect plan. So what better deal could you ask for than again Romans 8 chapter 20, uh, verses 26 and 27. And that's why we can say Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for the good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Why? Because we've had that perfect prayer and that perfect answer. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. You think about what you want to pray about, and uh, you do it. <clears throat> Excuse me, you do it silently. Let us pray. Father, we're grateful for the privilege of being able to come together and to worship. Now I would ask that you would guide and direct us, for I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Ken, come lead us in a song, please. Hymn number 85. Let's stand and sing the first, second, fourth, and fifth verses. Yeah. 
Amen. Be seated, please. <coughs> All right, now by uh, way of uh, announcements, we're not going to have our Bible study or our uh, uh, prayer meeting on Wednesday. Again, I'm going to give myself one more day to to uh, work on getting rid of the shingles, and I am doing better, so I feel uh, I'm very appreciative of your prayers, and please keep them up. Because it's no fun, but uh, we all have our trials and tribulations in this, the devil's world. So, again, uh, I am making, I think, a turn for the better. So, no uh, no uh, prayer meeting, but we do have to my left over here a prayer list. So, uh, feel free to get you a prayer list and use it. As you can tell it's from looking at it, if you came in and looked down, there are a number of... Uh, prayer request there, so uh, feel free to uh, take it home and use it as the case may be, because we are commanded in the scripture, as you well know, to pray for one another, and Candy, good to have you with us today, and it's good to have Clay back, so uh, again, uh, we had a little rain problem last week, uh, but I will let you know that on the internet and also on the podcast, you can clearly hear the lesson. So if you want to uh, go again to either one of them, westbankbiblechurch.com or the podcast, West Bank Bible Church, uh, you can hear that lesson. In fact, when I was listening to it, Tommy said, what's that static? And I said, that's not static, that's the rain. We were in a downpour last Sunday and, and uh, it uh, was very difficult to hear in person, but fortunately, we do have the internet, and we do have, of of course, the the podcast. All right, so much for announcements, and uh, now let's go to another aspect of worship called giving. Uh, as you know, we have uh, uh, giving is considered in this church. Excuse me, <clears throat> in this church, an act of worship. And uh, that means it's just as much an act of worship as praying or singing or the t- teaching and the learning of the Word. So it's important for us to know what we're doing when we do have a pause to give. And of course, uh, we need to know that there are two particular books in the Bible, Second Corinthians chapter 8 and 2 Corinthians chapter 9, that talk really uh, only about giving. And uh, so if you really want to know about giving, you can read those two chapters. Or you can go to the internet, westbankbiblechurch.com, go to Pastor Mary's study books, go down the list, find giving, hit it, and you'll get the written lesson. Uh, and uh, you can uh, learn all the Bible has to say about giving. But in summary, <clears throat> you come you uh, to church, and uh, we pause, and we have a moment of silent prayer, and I... Ask for a blessing upon the gift and the giver. Now then, if you want to give, the scripture says you gave. It's that simple. It's the want to that is important. But in the event you have something to give, then we have a plate here in the front, one at the back, two in the front, one at the back. You feel free at the end of the service to seek them out. But you ought not to give if you can't give it, as we like to say sometimes, hilariously, or uh, as the scripture says, you be a cheerful giver. 
So if you're not a cheerful giver, don't give. That's the important thing you need to know. But if you are a cheerful giver, you can certainly seek out these plates and exercise your prerogative. But even better, if you want to give, though God hasn't blessed you and you don't have anything to give, you can still give because you wanted to. Now that's what the scriptures teach. None of this uh, tithing or none of this uh, sacrificial giving or subscribing to the budget or are trying to bribe God, but that's what the scripture teaches about giving. And that's, uh, as long as I'm in this pulpit, that's the way we will look at giving. So with that said, let's go to the Lord in prayer, silent prayer again. You think about giving, and if you want to give, you can give, whether you have anything or not. So keep that in mind. So let us pray. Miss Tommy. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of being able to come and to worship. Now, I would ask a very special blessing upon both the gift and the giver, and also upon the rest of our service, that we would do it in a manner pleasing in your sight. For I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to have special music today, and Joshua is going to sing for us a song, a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And it's from Psalm 119, verse 105. And that, of course, is the longest of all the songs. So, excuse me, Psalms, uh, which is another word for song. But uh, it is uh, it's an extremely long psalm. And uh, I found a, a book, I have a book, the book of Psalms by... Arlo, Arno Gabeline, and I was going to, I'm going to read you what he said about this particular psalm. Now, Colonel R.B. Theme, when he has taught this particular psalm, he teaches it as a, uh, a psalm that uh, is being sung to the Lord as the children of Israel are on their way to captivity. And they know they're being abused and they are being abused because the Babylonians are, that's the way they are. They were carrying them off with their now, of course, the Iranians and the Iraqis. They're carrying uh, the Jews off. They hate the Jews and they, uh, of course, uh, Jews are getting their discipline. And uh, they're singing this song, very, very long uh, song, which, of course, is Psalm 119. And I'm going to read you uh, the summary that has been provided by Arno C. Gabeline. He says, those who walk according to his words are blessed. Verse 1. They do no iniquity. Verse 3. Walking word are blessed. Verse 1 again. Then they do no iniquity. Walking according to his word. Uh, and then the word cleanses. When hidden in the heart, it keeps from sinning. Verse 9, 
Verse 11, it quickens and gives strength. Verses 25 and 28, mercies and salvation come through his word. Verse 41, it is the ground of hope. Verse 43, it is comfort in affliction. Verse 50, the Lord deals well with his servant according to his word. Verse 65, merciful kindness and comfort according to his word are obtained by prayer. Verse 76, his word is forever settled in the heavens. Verse 89, it is sweet unto the taste, sweeter than honey. Verse 103, it is a lamp unto the feet and a light for the path. Verse 105. All right, word, we know him as hiding place and shield. Verse 114, it upholds the trusting heart. Verse 116, the entrance of it giveth light. Verse 130, and understanding of the simple. By it we can order our steps, verse 133. No iniquity will then have dominion over us. It is beloved because it is very pure, verse 140. It is true from the beginning and all its righteous judgments endure forever, verse 160. It produces great joy, verse 162. It leads to praise and worship, verse 164. Great peace comes from verse 165. And then he says, such are a few of the inspired sayings in praise of the word of God. And every believer finds, every believer finds them true as he is reading his word. So I think you can see from that particular summary by Arno C. Gabeline that it is one lengthy psalm. So, uh, it, uh, again is one that, uh, when you think about all of the various Saying, summarize it in, in his last chapter and last paragraph, you see how Israel had the faith even though they knew they were going to a place of punishment and a place of uh, false doctrine. So, uh, Joshua's gonna sing to us now, uh, in Psalm 119 verse 105. Joshua, if you would please. unto my feet and a light unto my path. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. When I feel afraid, think I've lost my way, still you're there right beside me and nothing will i fear as long as you are near please be near me to the end thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path.
I will not forget your love for me, and yet my heart forever is wandering. Jesus, be my guide, and hold me to your side. I will love you to the end. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path, and a light unto my path. Amen. Thank you, Joshua. Obviously, that's a difficult song to sing, and he did a great job. And uh, the children of Israel did a great job as they made their way to to Babylon, keeping the faith as they did, and it is recorded so in the psalm as they sang that wonderful psalm, a very lengthy psalm. All right, I'm going to review some of that learned and then begin new material at point uh, three. You remember last week we were studying the doctrine of the role of the woman in the local church, uh, because in the book of Titus, which is our study, uh, we have seen already uh, the qualification as qualifications of a pastor, which is set forth in the verses 5 and 16 of chapter 1. And then uh, we also have, have gotten now in the, to the role of women in the local church. So we will continue with that study. But first, let's use 1 John 1, 9 as may or may not be necessary. Let us pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of being able to come together and to study your word. Guide us now and direct us. For I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, uh, I want to again do some review and then we'll pick up with new material. But the expositor's commentary does an excellent job of setting the stage. Paul is making a distinction between the role of the woman and the role of the woman in the church. Now, as far as the role of the woman is concerned, you will remember we took a look very quickly at Proverbs chapter 31, where we have a beginning in verse 10 all the way through the end of the chapter that it describes the perfect wife. And the perfect wife is seen doing anything she wants to do in the way of the economic uh, business. In other words, she can do outside the local church whatever uh, is uh, ever, uh, she so minds, uh, given the fact that she can uh, be a businesswoman or uh, be a president of a corporation, you know, etc. And uh, that's outside the local church. But inside the local church... Paul provides not only in the book of Titus, but also in the book of First uh, uh, and Second Timothy, restrictions as far as the woman is concerned. All right, uh, so let's see what we've got here as far as the expositors is concerned. I'm quoting now. The word men in First Timothy 2.8 is preceded by the definite article in the Greek text. 
Paul means that the men, as opposed to the women, should conduct public worship. Not the women, but the men. The word everywhere is, more correctly, in every place, that is, where Christian congregations assemble, not in every place indiscriminately. All right, and I'll read 1 Timothy 2.8. It says, I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Now, in verse 9, the subject changes from men to women, more particularly women assembled in a Christian congregation. And I'm going to read verses 9 and 10. Again, our review may be a little more than normal, but we did have that rain problem last week. I want to make that everyone sure that it surely got uh, the message. And again, you can go to again uh, our website and and uh, westbankbiblechurch.com and see not only this message but other messages that we have taught. All right, verse nine and ten, First Timothy it says, "In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel." with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. So we should not take the context beyond what is written. These passages apply to the setting of a local assembly such as ours today. Therefore, what prohibitions are found in verse 9 must not be used of women outside local church meetings. And again, I would refer you to the again Proverbs 31, where it tells what a perfect woman does. And you can see in those verses all the way through the end of the chapter that she is working away and making money. Uh, and some have jokingly said, well, what does the man do? He sits at the gate reading the Wall Street Journal. But uh, while she works away feverishly, uh, making the living. Alright, now First Timothy 2.11 says a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. Paul is still dealing with the context of women in the local assembly. The silence here has to do with maintaining quiet in the assembly and does not forbid a woman to take an active part in the work of the church in her own sphere and under the limitations imposed upon her in the contextual passage. So before continuing, a caution is in order. Peter in verse 9 is not against broided hair, gold, pearls, or expensive clothing. It is clearly a principle that is being communicated. A lady with Bible doctrine in her soul will display ordered and attractive apparel. Such display will not be a product of outward appearance, but a metabolized doctrine in the soul. Now, Kenneth Weiss has the following to say of the silence of women as described in 1 Timothy 2.11. And I'll read what Kenneth Weiss has to say. He is one of my favorite commentators and one of Colonel Thiem's favorite commentators and translators, in fact. I first knew about him when I heard Colonel say one time that he has the best translation of the New Testament available and as terms of being literally what the Greek says as translated into the English. Now let's quote Kenneth Weiss now. This admonition to the effect that women are to learn in silence with all subjection is made clear as to its meaning by 1 Corinthians 14 verses 34 and 35 where the women were disturbing the church service by asking their husbands questions 
presumably, about that which was being preached. The silence here in our First Timothy passage has to do with maintaining quiet in the assembly. All right, I'm going to read those two verses. They are troublesome. To, they are trouble to to some, but remember, the word of God is the word of God, alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So here we go, First Corinthians fourteen thirty-four and thirty-five. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak. But they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law, the Mosaic law. And if they learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. Now the silence here does not forbid a woman to take an active part in the work of the church in her own sphere and under the limitations imposed upon her in the contextual passage. Now, there are three considerations hidden from many who have exegeted this passage. Uh, And most important, how many husbands can answer questions about the Scriptures? How often do husbands and wives discuss the Scriptures? And how many husbands and wives recognize the importance of being occupied with Christ? And of course, you'll remember OWC, or Occupied with Christ, is the last of the ten problem-solving devices uh, that we have studied on more than one occasion. All right, uh, the uh, uh, next point we've got is, before we leave the passage, I want to add one other thing. Let me lead you with a, leave you with an Old Testament exhortation. I love this, and I wish that we all, in fact... Uh, and do this, and uh, certainly have done it in the past. But and the words, now this is Deuteronomy 6, 6 and verse 7. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. So an admonition then for fathers to speak about the Word of God in their homes, if you will. All right, we then, that is last week, exegeted 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12. Expanded translation, it is important that the women learn in silence with proper respect and good manners. She must not be allowed to teach or to have authority over a man, but to serve in silence. So, so much for review. Now for new material and an analysis of verse 13. And we did some work here last week, but again, about that time we had that terrible rainstorm and uh, some of you didn't get to hear. But then again, it is on the internet and the podcast. Alright, verse. King James, King James Version first. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And then the New International Version translated it, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. As you can see, same translation. All right, now let's take a look at it. For Adam was first formed. We have Gar, Adam, Pratos, Plasso. Well translated, just as we see. For Adam was first formed. Now, Gar is what we call an explanatory particle, uh, G-A-R. 
It means I'm going to explain further. Sometimes I will translate it for you see by way of additional explanation. He wants to explain further. And then we have the proper noun Adam, which of course is the name for Adam, the name for man. But it also means red or ruddy. Uh, so it's an interesting word. And we have as our, it's our subject, it's our nominative singular. Then we have a modification by the adjective protos and the verb plasso. So uh, this verb plasso is a what we call a first person singular imperfect active indicative. The imperfect tense says it's continuous action in the past. It was a continuous action that was being done by God as he created, first of all, the soul of man and woman. And of course, he created man, as you'll recall. And uh, we'll look at the creation, or better even yet, for more detail, you can go to our doctrine of creation, which is on the uh, uh, it's on the the, the internet. Uh, it's not on the podcast yet. We're working on what we're going to put on the podcast next. But this past week, I put on the doctrine of war, since we're approaching the. Uh, uh, Memorial Day, and war is on the news, but uh, I put on there at least half of the doctrine of war. Uh, took took an hour to put half of it on, so we'll probably do the next half next week when we on Memorial Day. Uh, and by the way, since I'm here, we're also going to try Kenneth to do our Lord's Table on Memorial Day because it's the true memorial, and we'll have uh, our Lord's Table as well as the lesson. <clears throat> All right, Plasso appears two times in the New Testament. Let's look at the verb. Let me provide how it has been translated first in the KJV and then the NIV. For example, in Romans chapter 9, verse 20, Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Or in the NIV, but who are you, O man, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to him who formed it? And you can see highlighted for you there in your lesson plan is the the word translated formed it in both cases, KJV and NIV of the verb plasso. In other words, why did you make me this? That's not for us to question. Ours is not to reason why. Ours is but to do what God says. And, uh, and, and accept it because we know that uh, his word again is alive and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. All right, then we have the phrase, then Eve. We have Ita and then we have Uva. And uh, or Kuva as it's also pronounced in the Hebrew. But Ita is an adverb followed by the proper noun Ua in the, in the Greek. And it's a nominative singular subject. It appears 15 times in the New Testament where it is translated afterward, then, or then after that, and furthermore. Notice Matthew four sixteen and 17. And these are they likewise which are sown on st- stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves. And so endure, but for a time... Afterward, when affliction and persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. Now, this is actually uh, not a quote, but it's uh, in substance what we find in Matthew chapter 13 in the parable. 
Uh, and I would refer you to, again, the internet. We have a doctrine of the Matthew 13 parables. But it's a reference to those who uh, receive the word of God, that is the salvation word, and they receive it with gladness, but because they don't have any root, and therefore it does not uh, go into the ground and produce production. Uh, why? Because of persecution in the world, and then they lose it. It, it goes away. So again, it is a reference to a believer who for some reason, or multiple reasons, uh, called persecution here, uh, and then they just quit taking in the Word of God. And uh, this is not unusual, but you have in the very interesting study in the Matthew 13 parables uh, that uh, Mark has quoted in part here. So I would encourage you to Go to the internet and take a look at the Matthew 13 parables. Alright, and how do you do that? Well, you put in westbankbiblechurch.com and then you go down to Pastor Mary's study books. Then you go down to Matthew 13 parables. They're all in alphabetical order. And uh, as for Baylor Bears, they have to have that. And so they go down to, to Matthew 13 and you click on it and then your written lesson will come up. It's, it's very easy. And as I told somebody this week, uh, we even made it easier because on the on the on the the uh, open page uh, the uh, we have two lessons we have Daniel and we have Revelation and where you can just click on them uh, and on the home page and then you'll have uh, come up chapter one chapter two chapter three to go through every chapter and it, when you click on the chapter it won't be the verses it'll be the lessons like maybe 13 lessons 9 pages each 10 pages each 12 pages each and you can restudy the book of the revelation restudy the book of Daniel so uh, I urge people to uh, use the technology that we have available to us uh, and uh, then we have Mark 8 25 and 26 it says after that he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up and was restored and saw every man clearly, and he sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town, uh, nor tell it to any in the town. All right, uh, and you can see how it's translated there. That is to say, uh, after that, ita, E-I-T-I. All right, and then we have it translated in Luke 8, 12, then. It says, then by the wayside are they that hear. Here we go with this Matthew 13 parable again. Those by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. It's talking about an unbeliever there. In other words, it's like if the word of God, the salvation doctrine, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, would fall on the asphalt out there. And then the bird comes and picks it up and takes it away, so it doesn't have time uh, to stay, uh, nor does the person who heard it want it to stay. Because it's taken away. And who is the bird? The bird is the devil, says the scripture. Uh, and uh, that's talking about an unbeliever. So there's only one, there are four different examples given you in the Matthew 13 parables. And only one of them is an unbeliever, and that's this person here. And the last person is the one who gets the word of God. And uh, it germinates, it produces. And uh, some people who are very positive to the Word, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and start to grow immediately. Some grow immediately and have a tenfold production. Some have twentyfold production. Some have a hundredfold production. 
All depending upon what God wants. So it's our job to uh, uh, understand the Scriptures. Then we go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9. Uh, and uh, furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? So their Ida is translated furthermore. And of course, that's Hebrews 12, 9 with reference to discipline. Because in Hebrews 12, 6, it says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. And he then says, despise not the chastening of the Lord, because it's for our benefit. And then he speaks of the fact that we shouldn't uh, feel angry about the fact that the Lord disciplines us, because he does it for our benefit, and only when we need it, and in the amounts that we need. I say that from someone who has shingles, or as a person in this church said, and I won't say who it was, but this person said, What'd you and Tommy do some wrong? <laughs> Since my three, my grandchild, my uh, granddaughter, and my daughter uh, all have COVID, and I have shingles. And so Mr. Big Mouth over here, but I won't say who it was, uh, said, What did you all do that uh, you have so much discipline going on? But uh, this one's for our benefit. So, again, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. All right, let's go on. Enough of that. Then we have, of course, this word, you are. Here's one place in the New Testament where it is also translated Eve. In the Hebrew, it's Kuba. Uh, she was called Ish-ah because God made her out of man. Ah means out of. Ish means man. But then uh, later, when she got, after the fall, she began again the child bearer, which was Kuba. All right, now let's look at 2 Corinthians 11.3. But I fear lest by any means... As the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And then we find Eve again in the, uh, in the NIV of that same verse. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So before we leave our exegesis of the Greek, I want to review what the book of Genesis has to say of the making of Adam and the building of Eve. Alright, uh, first of all, the image of God. And by the way, I would remind you that the doctrine of creation is on the internet and you can get far more information, far more data, if you will, uh, by going there rather than uh, today. Since we're just hitting the high spots and I know I'm doing um, a great deal of review from last week, but then again, I don't know how many of you heard anything with that rain pounding down. Not that we dislike the rain. We need the rain and thank you, Lord. But it was coming down, as you all remember. So on the sixth day, God continues His restoration, if you will. In other words, there was a creation. The devil fell, messed up planet Earth. And then God restored it in six literal days. And that all can be found and documented uh, on the Internet. So again, on the sixth day, God continues His restoration. The earth was restored in six literal days, but it was restored. It was created, and we don't know how long it took or if it took any time at all. But He created it absolutely perfect, and then Satan fell, messed it up, and then it was restored in those six days. 
Let's look at Genesis 1.26. It says, Then God said, Let us make. And that's the souls of uh, the two. Both the soul of the man and the soul of the woman. And it's uh, the, the verb there is asa, which we can better translate. He manufactured the souls in the image of God, which is Bethlehem. And according to our likeness, which is Demut. Uh, and let him rule, Rada, over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So we're talking about the animal family, and the herpetilian family, and the birds that fly, and it's in Hebrew, it's the Oaf the Oof. Uh, and then, of course, also the herpetilian family. So God was, man was given, uh, if you will, uh, as the scripture says, dominion over. Alright, so the, the image of God distinguishes man from the lower creatures and inevitably guarantees a supremacy over them which God intended. Mankind was created to rule creation. God delegated to man authority over every living thing in the earth. Notice Genesis 1.27. And God created. Now the word for create there is bara, as you can see in your lesson plan. It means to make from absolutely nothing. Man in his own image. The image of God he created. Bara. Created for absolutely nothing. Just as when it says uh, in the beginning God created. Vereshe bara in Genesis 1.1. Means to create from absolutely nothing. Bara. And that's the only way it's used in scripture. uh, As a creation of or from nothing. All right, he created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created Barahim. Male and female, he created them. All right, so the souls of man and woman were now created in the image of God, and it was now time for God to provide a home for the souls. And so he began with first a body for the man and then for the woman. Uh, and then the details of the creation of man and woman are further, further revealed in Genesis 2, 7 and Verse 22. Uh, and I'm hitting the high sides, high side. I'm hitting the highlights here, uh, as you well know. And so I would encourage you to go and find the doctrine of creation on the internet. So then the Lord God formed, that word there is Yatsar, man out of the dust from the ground, and breathed Nafak, uh, or Nephek, unto, into his nostrils the breath of lives, which is Nitmat Kayim. And in other words, both spiritual life as well as physical life. Two different kinds of life. And the Lord God built. Now you have something different from the woman. She is not barad, created from absolutely nothing. She's bana. She is built. And many a joke has been made about the woman was built. Uh, and uh, B-A-N-A-H. Uh, and of course he used the, what did he use? Well he built out of the rib of Adam the woman had taken from man and brought her to the man and of course he had already asked him to go and look at all the animals uh, all the animals on planet earth and see if there's something there that you know you like he came by and said no uh, and he, so he, he made something for man man was incomplete without the woman just as he, a man is incomplete without his right woman uh, so it's important for us to understand that. Uh, and we have a doctrine of right man, right woman. And uh, I'll tell a little story about that. I don't think I've told it in the church yet, but 
we had a lady who was a, uh, a white lady, uh, and uh, we had a man who was black, and they wanted to get married. And uh, so, as I usually do before I perform a marriage ceremony, I uh, have a little discussion with both of them, and we talk about right man and right woman. And we were sitting in that auditorium, I mean, in the fellowship hall, and uh, uh, I'll never forget the woman was on my left and the black guy was right in front of me. And uh, I said, uh, now I want to encourage you to uh, be sure and go and take a look at the doctrine of right man and right woman. And he jumped back and said, did you say white man, white woman? And... (laughs) I got tickled at the, the lady. She said, no, no, no. He said, right man, <laughs> right man, right woman. But uh, I thought that was uh, comical and it got us off on the right foot. You know, I said, no, 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 no. Uh, obviously not, since I was about to marry the black man and the white woman. But the point being, uh, it didn't, uh, apparently he misheard. All right, that's my story and I'll not tell it again. All right, here we go. I say that, you know, I do lie a lot about stuff like that, you know, because in an appropriate place, I might indeed use it again. Okay, now let's see what we have by way of an expanded translation of verse 13. It says, For you see, Adam was first formed from the dust of the earth, and then Eve was constructed from a rib taken from Adam. All right, now I'd like to go right now, uh, since uh, we got through with extensive amount of review, Let's uh, take a look just to whet your appetite at the doctrine of the right man and right woman. I know you don't have uh, any written documents before you, so uh, we'll just have to be like other churches. You'll just have to listen. But uh, we like to have a written lesson for each lesson, and it is on the Internet. But the term right man and right woman refers to two souls prepared in eternity past uniquely designed to come together in time as husband and wife. Genesis 1.27, which we've already seen, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then in Genesis 2.18, reading through verse 24, it says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a help meet. And then we drop down to, again, verse 21, or 2, verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took. And the word is lakak, and it means to seize with force. Uh, one of his ribs, and one of the, the word for rib there is teselem, T-S-E-L-E-M. And it means a structural beam, a structural beam. In other words, that if you didn't have that structural beam uh, like we have here in our auditorium, uh, the building wouldn't stand and the man wouldn't stand. So it's a very necessary and important uh, part of the man. But he created out of absolutely nothing then, if you will, or he created out of the the, uh, souls of them earlier as mentioned. But here we're talking about the woman is created a structural beam, and then he closed up the flesh instead thereof. So, and the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. 
And it is there that that word is ish-ah. In other words, it's a very pretty word. Ish-ah. In other words, ish is the word for man in Hebrew. Ah means to take out. Uh, now later on, uh, she will be called other things. As noted, she'll be called gune. She'll be called, uh, again, as noted, uh, kuvah. All right, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. Again, a reference to the the oneness, the uniqueness of the two. And they shall stand alone against all things. And that even includes uh, the children. I always tell the story about uh, uh, my daughter uh, when she was in teenage years. And like all teenagers, you know, they get a little uh, uppity. But uh, the point being, uh, something happened in the family. I can't remember what it was. And she had asked her mother something. Her mother had said no. And then she had asked me. And I said, well, what did your mother say? And I said, well, whatever mother says goes. And uh, she just started crying and saying, well, you always take her side. And I said, and you mighty right. And that's what the Bible says. You know, we stand alone uh, in the world, you know. As a, as a unit and uh, face all things uh, as a unit. And that's the way it should be. In other words, uh, a man should be, uh, you might say, a president of the corporation and, and the woman will be chairman of the board. <laughs> all right, let's go on. All right, Genesis 1.27 compared to Genesis 2.24, can, we can safely conclude that the souls of the right man and the right woman were created in eternity past concurrently. Souls, though created in eternity past, they are to become one in time. Perfect souls housed in in perfect bodies designed one for another. The souls are perfect one for another, and the bodies are perfect one for another. So it is God's desire that the right man and right woman come together in marriage. Uh, uh, There are those who have married someone other than their right man, right woman. And when this occurs, God's protocol demands you take in the Word of God and enjoy the mistake. Alright, if you are married, as far as the Scripture is concerned, you have your spouse. Your husband is to acquire the skills to enjoy him or her. Uh, And of course, that comes from taking in the Word of God on a regular basis. So even if you think you have missed the boat, uh, the Bible tells you to row a little faster you can still reach the port of conjugal bliss. All right, with that said, I'm going to uh, stop. I just wanted to whet your appetite, so maybe you would go to the Internet and look up the doctrine of right man, right woman, and study it thoroughly because it is quite lengthy. And, uh, and again, it is there. Uh, and on the Internet, it's the audio as well as the written lesson. Now, on the podcast, it will only be just the written lesson. So now then for the closing moments of our service, I'm going to ask that your head is bowed and your eyes are closed because we're going to have an an invitation, an invitation to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. So if you are here or you are out there uh, in uh, computer land and you've not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, it's important that you do that. In other words, we're all sinners. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
uh, and we've all gone astray, as you well know. The Bible says, even in the Old Testament, Isaiah said it could. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. So right where you are, whatever you might be doing, you can tell God the Father, I am believing on God the Son, and on the promise of the Word, you will be saved. Uh, and it's all by grace. You don't do anything for it. You simply believe and you are saved. Uh, and uh, it's a it's an act that God provided and did on our or for our favor and there's no psychological hoops to jump through. There's no promises that you have to make that Lord I'm not going to do that again. Uh, nor you have to walk any aisles. Uh, no, you just have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God sent His Son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. So he that believeth on the Son has everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth upon him. Now I'm going to pause for just a moment, and then I will pronounce our benediction. Father, we're grateful for the privilege of being able to come together to study Your Word. Now I would ask that God the Holy Spirit would take that which I have presented, make it real, in order that we might grow in Your wonderful grace and become more like our Lord and Savior, even Jesus the Christ. For it's in His name I pray. Amen.